Be following Willie more and more. Back in the NRL. As Willie May. That's forgotten how big Willie actually is. Perhaps the presence of Willie and the Panthers looking at his imposing frame. I'm a 25 minute man. Oh, you got skills, son. Uppercut right hand. Welcome to episode number 23 of the Take with Willie and Ian William. We are Ian? brought to you. We are brought to you by bettingsite.com.au. They love us. We love them. I love you. Do you know who I love the most, though, Will? <laughs> Who's that? We are blessed with greatness tonight. We have got what I think is probably Australia's greatest tra- male track Olympian of the modern era. Um, he's not only that, he's probably the best bloke that we've spoken to on this show. He's a very good friend of yours. Yeah. Um, I won't go through all of his awards because, you know, he's a silver medalist at an Olympic Games. It's, he's a gold medalist at a Commonwealth Games. He's, he is a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. And yeah. the Olympics are on, Will, and we thought, why not go straight to the top? Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, Johnny says, you know, one of my closest mates, and uh, I can't speak highly enough of him. He's a very humble man. He does a lot of things um, with a lot of grace. And, you know, we get along really well. You know, our relationship goes goes way back, and um, I'm um, I'm happy to call him a friend, especially times like this. You know, I only called him what I call him today. I said, "Do you want to jump on?" He goes, "Yep, no worries." So that's a that's a testament to what sort of bloke he is. He just do anything for his friends. So, you know, he's very particular about who he does talk to. Uh, I think that's why we have a such a, a a great bond together because, you know, we've been through some shit together. You know, and um, we've come out the other side. So, it's great to get him on the show like tonight. And, and speak about the Olympics, you know? It's the biggest event in the world at the moment. So, you know, he's, he's been there. He's done it. Like, he's lived it. And, you know, that's stuff that we can only talk about, where this guy's, you know, he's been in, in the finals of the 400. He's won Commonwealth Games, you know, like silver silver medal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's ridiculous. He's just very humble the way when I talk to him it's, and, and stuff like that. So it's great to get him on the show. He can't be that particular because he's mates with you. So I'm, he's particular, particular in most... Most cases, particular. Hopefully, I got him on a bad night. I got him on a bad night. <laughs> well, hopefully this is going to work. So let's bring him in now. The great man, John Stephenson. Johnny, are you with us? This is the first time, huh? Yeah. Here he is. <laughs> <laughs> Here he is. How are you, mate? Good, guys. How are you? Not Good, bad. Mate. What's happening? We really, we really appreciate you joining us, mate. It's, it's, uh, it's a Pleasure, boys. It's always, I think we did the first podcast probably about a year and a half ago, and um, it's good to see you guys. You've gone from strength to strength, and um, and it's nice to nice to be back on. Man, so Willie's got a fair black book uh, of uh, you <laughs> hey, know, be careful athletes. Yeah. You no ex athletes. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> black athletes in that black book. What's going on? <laughs> this different different sort of black book. But mate, we uh, we went straight to the top with you. How did you blokes actually meet? How did you guys become friends? I oh well, I'll, I'll take it from here. It was I think it was about 2013. I was still playing. This is my second stint in the NRL. I was, we were at Jeff Fennick's house. And I never met John before, ever. I only saw him in the papers, and you know, we probably had a different perception of each other. We didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know how he rolled or how he thought about me, and and probably vice versa. So, we just connected straight away, and we bounced off each other. And then we we're talking about athletics, and then rugby league, and how how uh, how obviously how important speed is to the to the NRL, and how to have 
genuine speed you know we're talking about players and this and that like are they lineal lineal runners are they how they good with the ball how different it is so we just we just chopped it up really good and then i was playing and then i was playing with newcastle and i was playing some i was i was playing some really good football up there about 2013-14 and i reached out to john so i was you know i was 33-34 so i reached out to john because i knew how important it was to maintain speed as a big guy. I've always said that. And all the young kids now, it's so hard to stop a big man with speed and footwork. You know, these kids, everyone's pretty blessed with good genetics, especially the Polynesians, but you need to learn how to run. The the biomechanics of it all, and John's a specialist in that. Like he was, he broke it down for me so much easier than any other like speed coach. Like he had it all. Like it, Because I think he, you know, he's he's lived it but he's obviously a student of the game. Like he loves rugby league, but he loves the, the the form of running, you know? So I was doing, I was moving, I was coming down from Newcastle and doing some sessions with John, knowing that like, you know, if I'd have done my ACL or anything like that, I would have been in massive trouble with the game, but I knew how important it was for me to stay on top of my game at that age. And I knew speed was very important. So I used to do a lot of work with John, like off what I was doing. You know, so that's what kept me at the top for, for so long. You know, I was 33, 34, and, we, and then we've just kept in contact ever since, and we've grown such a great bond. And, I'm, you know, I'm very privileged to call him, uh, you know, one of my best mates. So the dude's a genius. Like, he just, like, whatever, you know, when he teaches people how to run, like, even I go to some of his sessions now, I'm, like, I'm learning this shit all the time. It's brilliant. That's, yeah, that's nice. You never speak about me like that. That's about a five-minute rap. That's, mate, mate, that's a John, big rap, mate. I don't know, I don't know how I feel him choose, mate. Uh, you set me up a fame, be really like, Jesus, nah, brother. No, no, no. Mate, people, no, no. uplift the athletes, man. No, no, I appreciate that. And, and it's, it's very kind of you to say those words, Willie. Um, um, yeah, no, Willie and I did meet at Jeff Benning's house and we did form a bit of a bond um, through sport. And I think the, the great thing about Willie, which I always loved about him, he always was in, in pursuit of one percenters. And I, and I, and I, at the time, there was a stigma with not only rugby league players, but especially with Willie, that he was a guy that, you know, had a whole lot of talent and, you know, didn't manage his talent well on and off the field. Like, they just thought that he lucked into all these beautiful ball positions, lucked into beautiful field positions. But little did they know that Willie was always in pursuit of one percenters and trying to be the best on the field. And he, he didn't really give a shit what anyone else thought. He just made sure he took care of business when he stepped on the field. And I really, I really love that because in my career, a lot of people thought that, I was out of control, that I lucked up onto the track, but they didn't know behind the scenes. I was a student of the game. I moved to America. I lived in a car. We talked about that before in the last podcast. And um, and uh, and now I try and give back to all these young kids that maybe not have that opportunity that I had and not only teach them about the biomechanics of running on linear running and agility and how you can use it and how to stay injury safe, injury proof. And if you're injury proof, you get a longer season. If you're longer season, you get a bigger contract and all that sort of stuff. But also the high performance side of elite sport. And then you're seeing NRL, AFL are really becoming more and more elite from back in the days 20 years ago where you just yeah. played, you know, because you love the sport and then you work your day job. Like now, the game is just ruthless. All the way up, when Willie educated, as educated me from 2013 on this game, you know, I've been blessed to have him in my corner so when I'm working with another kid, look, Willie's so elite, I can go, man, what's this? What's that? Why is that happening? Why is it not only for the speed agility side, but the high performance side of professional sports? So I think there's a language that pro athletes learn to speak to one 
another. And I think yeah. it becomes it becomes such a small um, niche group of individuals that you cannot wait till you get next to somebody who has been there because you can rap like that with them. You can't rap like this with a normal, uh, I guess, someone who plays club-grade rugby or someone who watches the game because they just don't understand. I think that's the reason why you get a lot of um, players get a lot of backlash, whether it's through their social media, whether it's through the news, because unfortunately you know the people that play club rugby because they've played one or two games didn't understand what pro sport is and it's completely different it yes the game is still it's still a normal pitch there's still a 20 20 yard uh, 20 meter line there's still the two goalposts and there's still that nice oval ball but no that how your your makeup through a season through a career is just it, it it's something which you can see it break people and you can see it make people and and normally you see it break more than what it does make so um yeah, that's pretty. That's a quick. I hope that was a quick summation on sort of what our relationship no, and how it's it is. And that. It is funny because I think twenty years ago when I was like coming through, and coaches would say to you, "You're not quick enough" or whatever, and and so the only way you could sort of get around that was trying to get fitter. But it doesn't really change the fact that you're not getting faster by getting fitter. So I think over the last probably, especially the last ten years, the fact that there's sprint coaches in rugby league has made the game so much better because they're learning about biomechanics, learning about how to yeah. run. There wasn't that around back 20 years and ago. It's, and it's very important that uh, NRL clubs and AFL clubs have a look at guys like John Stephenson because they are now, because they know how important speed is to the game. But then you've got to implement speed into like run. Like when we said lineal speed, that's just like get the ball and just run straight. Like guys like Josh Adokar and all that. He's got lineal speed, but he's got speed when he steps. You know what I mean? Like in, and he's done some work with John, and like these guys, he can go to another level. Like all these guys, we've got fast guys in the NRL. We've got it all through the game, but sometimes they look fast at training, and then you get them with a the ball. I'm like, where was that? I don't understand. And so that's where a guy like John can come in and teach you how to run, obviously the lineal way, but with the ball and everything, because he understands the biomechanics of the game and how to run and the hips and everything. Like it's such a like anyone who knows anything a little bit a little bit about running, you'd be like, you'd understand what we're talking about with his hips and the shifting and all this kind of stuff and his toes. It's just like it does your head in. But like how important, John, do you think that speed is to not just AFL, NRL, all sports? You I mean, you'd be in high demand with what you're doing now, you know, with your with your um with your academy and everything like that. Tell us a bit more about it. Yeah, I'm pretty blessed, Will. Like I choose who I wanna wanna work yeah. with. And I know there's certain personality types which I think breed success, which I think you need to have. Um, I also have a kids academy that I, that I work with the kids a bit younger, and um, we start to implement and breed, like plant the seeds of understand that success very, very early. Um, I, I think when it comes to speed, speed agility, it's not just about going from A to B fast or A B C D G, and then you end goal fast. It's it's more about especially for pro athletes, we're talking about pro athletes. Not about, So for the kids, it's about teaching the biomechanics and the understanding. So no one teaches that because we everybody can run. Everybody can run fast, but sprinting is not a natural. You learn to sprint. So we teach that biomechanics when they're younger. For the pro athletes that haven't learned to, we teach them more the ability to gain half a meter at each play. So it's not about you need to go from point A to point B fast because then you can become an Olympian. These guys have got 10 other things they've got to worry about if it's skills, yeah. if it's set plays, if it's weights, whatever, if it's media, whatever it is. So they've really got enough on their plate. It's more about giving them the ability that when they're training and they're doing repetitions, that they're able to maybe cover instead of 10 kilometers a game, 
at at nine meters per second. They can club a length ten point five kilometers a game at nine meters a second. They've gained five hundred meters against someone else in the team, which means that then they their, their, their analytics on how they through the season is higher when they because this is what our club rugby is now. It's not just who's the favorite. Yeah. They got data on all these athletes. Mm-hmm. That's why you see him wearing a little backpack. And then they go, geez, he, and now he gets another year in the club. That's another hundred eighty thousand, maybe another three hundred thousand, maybe another eight hundred thousand little contract that sets his family up. This is big. Just to come to yeah. a couple of sessions a week, mm. like, like to me, that's what you worked out a long it's time. It's valuable. Like, yeah, that's why you're worth thirty nine point two million. You know what I mean? Because because <laughs> a season, because, per season. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because because you did all that, and us and I learned that because I moved to America, I realized what where I was lacking as an athlete, why Australians couldn't compete with the rest of the world. I went to America, stole all their tricks, implemented it, now bring it back home to give it to uh, our Aussies. Well, mate, speaking of speed, the Olympics have been... This is actually one of Australia's... Just to cut you off, sorry, just to cut you off, where a lot of the sprint comes from from America, living there for 10 years, is from NFL. If you have a look at how many many players now crossing over for AFL back into track and field and track and field and vice versa is huge. A lot of... So a lot of the college systems use our track coaches to help the, the college teams like the Bruins and USC and all the great college football teams Use the track and field coaches. So when you think, oh, this guy just runs from A to B in a straight line. No, we do a lot of the plyometrics and a lot of the strengthening of the ankles and the knees for years in linear running. We do from the agility side that they've learned from thousands of athletes that they've destroyed in the NFL. So I've been truly blessed to have that exposure and then also having really when it comes to football down here. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's fine. It's actually, you raise a good point because normally, traditionally, the states have been so strong in the track events there really hasn't been that many American athletes that have taken, like if you look at the the, the women's hundred, it's been the Thompson era from from Jamaica and the two hundred as well. She did a double. You've got the Italian Jacobs who won the hundred. They've got that young kid in the two hundred, that seventeen year old who looks like he could be the future of sprinting. But they really haven't won as many medals on the track as you would expect for a, for a country that's dominated for so many years. Yeah, I've got yeah. two schools two schools of thought on this. It's either it's very hard. I mean, this whole this whole COVID thing has has really sort of changed your cycle and how you get ready for Olympic Games. American athletes, especially the male American athletes, man, are, 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 and this is what I got off them are big time performers. You know, and 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 that has really been taken away at the games. Let's let's not lie to ourselves. I think the broadcast doesn't yeah. show what the real feeling is at the games at the track. Um, you've had some sensational performances because. There's some sensational athletes, like in the four hurdles of Carson Warren breaking the world record by almost a second, which is which we'll talk about that later, which is just absolutely crazy. But to answer your question with the males, I, I really think, you know, if you look at Trayvon Bromel, uh, he should have won the 100. He's been running fast since December. I think for him, this is his coming out party this year where he's had a lot of injuries leading up. And for him, winning national trials in Oregon was, was probably his Olympics. Uh, by the time he got to the Games, he was spent. So that's more of just getting their periodizing and their timing wrong, which is the reason why they're not running well. If you really look at Ronnie Baker, Teron Bromel, Area Knight in the 200, Noah Lyles in the 200, um, Fred Kersey did come second in the 100. Fred Kersey switched from the 400. It's the first time he's running the 100 year at the Olympic Games at a major championships. Um, no, they're doing just fine. It's just, I think, with the way COVID was all set up, they just didn't shoot the right bullet at the right time. They chose trials and where, say, a Nate, like, which opened the door for Marcel Jacobs, opened the door for Subin Ping, opened the door for 
for um, for Andre de Grasse, which he's always a big time performer. So I don't think there's anything to worry about US sprinting. I just think that their periodization, their timing and their peak for Olympics was completely wrong and they've totally cocked it up. So do you think what you just said before, you said something interesting, like the NFL and basketball, they're taking their athletes real quick because they're coming out of college and the, you know the opportunity out of college to turn pro straight away and you're an instant millionaire. You got to understand that, you know. You, why would you stay in track and field for another three or four years, or like just beat your head against the wall? If unless you're a, a, an Olympic champion straight out of college, it doesn't happen. So you're getting these athletes really quick. That's probably why they're losing a fair few in the last like two or three Olympics. You know, just obviously you're saying Bolt, your boy, he's like just dominated. But like, mm-hmm. I think that's you know we're taking like you go see like Tyreek Hill for the uh, Chiefs. You know, I mean he's 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 running tens. Like Julio Jones, all these guys could have been track athletes, but they chose. NFL and basketball, like LeBron and all these dudes, they can run track. But why would you do that? You're just going to go. But I'm going to turn pro. I'm do. I'm going to do pro, and then I'm going to just be, and they'll earn millions straight away instead of that one athlete at one event, one hundred or two hundred. You know, it's pretty boring. It's, it's, I it's, it's similar will year. You know, with 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 that AFL NRL. I mean, the bright lights are just too bright for track and field. And yeah. and but the thing is, what we're learning here very quickly, and and kids are learning that that they're doing their school carnivals when they're 18, 17, 18 at school and they're, and they're dominating that because they've got good sporting prowess. Then they go mm. to football and AFL. They go through two, three seasons and they're realizing, shit, what did I do right to get yeah. there? And they go, ah, oh man, I've got to do a bit more running. By that time, the club puts restrictions on them, like you said, and they yeah. go, I can't go run because if I get hurt, if they get a shit coach, which unfortunately there's thousands of them, um, they, can, they can get hurt and then now they're really in trouble. So that's, that's where you got to have that understanding that, that a football AFL runner, they're never going to run 100 metres. So why make them run 100 metres in training? That's ridiculous to me. I don't yeah. understand that. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I just think, you know, with the AFL, um, with the NFL in America, um, what helps is the collegiate system for track and field. Yes. You know, I think that really helps in all their sports they have there. And I suppose, sorry, um, sorry so to cut, sorry to cut. And I think it happens probably more. Like the, the NFL will be poaching all the track stars as well. You're not probably the track stars are yeah. going. Okay, we're well, going to see. I'm going to leave my options open, but NFL's yeah. gone. This dude's running tens. Let's let's but, try but and get look him at this. Wide. But look at this, Willie. Look at this. You know, um, these these NFL kids are going to college. Majority of them, um, they are getting they they they're getting what we're trying to offer now in Australia. What I'm trying to offer these NFL NRL young kids and pro athletes, right? Is they're getting that by default. So they're training in the college, right? And they're yeah. working their biomechanics in college. By the time they go pro, the, all the job is being done for the team. So, so you know, so 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 the, the the team. Sorry, guys, I just got another call yeah. coming through. So so the team is knows that they knows knows that they're coming with the right tools. You know, before yeah. they get to yeah before yeah. they get it's to being a pro. Up. And that's what we're trying to help when I work with the younger kids, the twelve year olds and stuff. Now is by the time they become and wanting to become a pro athlete, and the pro team gets it. They go, where did you learn? How come you can do those drills so well? Why are you running so like most of their job is done for them, which then yeah. gives that kid a better opportunity to, to have a longer lasting so, career. Yes. Well, so why Australian... do you think sorry, sorry, why do you think Australia has taken so long to implement something like that, like like with our speed into all these professional sports? Like we always seem to be about 10 or 15 years behind America, which are the they lead everything, but we're like we're only starting to get into it now. We're Speed kills everything. Why has it taken so long, John? Like, why why haven't you been in teams like 10 years ago or whilst you were sprinting? It's just like, I don't understand. Why didn't I see John Stephenson in, in 2008? You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't get it. 
the same reason why we're, we're still in lockdown, brother. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think, um, I, I think that that ideology is training. Unfortunately, you know, there's two sides of running. There's the science side, and then there's the art side of running. And there's two sides of playing football, right? There's the science yeah. side of football, which which we see a lot of the indigenous athletes struggle with, and or, like or, or or your or your your athletes have flair, put it that way. And then there's the, there's there's the art side which we love when we see Latrell Mitchell take the ball from the dead ball mm. line or not the dead ball from the try you know from the try um, uh, try line goal line and a goal line to score a to score yeah. a try you know that's what we love about about watching players like that so um, this is this is something which which we've been bogged down with the science in everything in our, in most of our sports here yeah, because. It, that justifies a coach's role and position that they're doing a good job when they can use science to justify why they're there. Yeah. You can't justify the arts and the field side of something. So I think just by culturally, we've always lent on science and lent on the Eastern European stuff and the, and the European and the British way of doing things where we're now learning because the world is becoming small and the mediums of social media, social media of, yeah. of YouTube is now got the kids going, hang on a minute, man. I'm learning now the art side of my sport that it's field too. And if you can get, marry the two together really well, you can get a pretty bulletproof athlete. And America, don't get me yeah. wrong, Americans are looking at the science that we've done and are implementing some of that now into the art side of 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 the sport. You know, it's funny. Well, I watched this. This is pretty funny. I watched this, um, this guy called JL. He's a, he cooks barbecue in Phoenix. And he's got the best barbecue in Phoenix. You know, we're talking baby, uh, baby back ribs. We're talking like beef short rib. And he goes straight up. He goes, he goes. Ziggs, that's Ziggs' favorite. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yo, he goes, he goes, and Ziggs will like this. He goes, he goes, he goes, the Anglos cook with science. The black people, we cook with feel and love and art. And, and, that, and that was what I got taught when I went to America, when I went to America and started and that's not that's not creating a racial divide. It's just culturally what we've what we've learned. And if you can combine the two, you get a pretty cool freaking athlete, man. Yeah. Well, interestingly, Johnny, I think Australia's um, you know the great white hope is Rowan Browning, and he he actually came from a rugby union background and couldn't make it in rugby, and his coach picked up on the fact that he was he had to technically pretty good. Yeah, exactly. It's different. So he was technically pretty good. And his coach, who was an Australian uh, triple jump champion, I think Andrew Murphy, said, I think you should start running. And and that's where he's come from now. If you look at him competing on the world stage, and he's run at the Olympics, he's run a 10.01 and he's run a 10.09 in, you know, in quick succession. He's only 23 years old and the sprinters mature lately. Do you see an... enough in seven years' time, he's going to actually be there and about? Um, no. No, 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 That's a real loaded question because, yes. because it, it takes so much, it takes so much to compete in, in that, that, so there's four blue ribbon events at track and field, the one, the four and the 1500. And, and they're just, they're, they're, those, those events are just hardcore, right? Um, Rowan, I think we got too excited with Rowan. I think the reason why there was apprehension in my, my ability to answer your question is that we got really excited in something where um, where that was what you're meant to do if you go to a championships. 
Um, yeah, he's right. run of the champion. He's run of the championships before. I um, mean, he's made the mistake of not making a final in 2018 in in, in Gold Coast. Um, his heat run was flawless for him, and he he caught a lot of big guys napping. And when you run a personal best in 100 meters, or when you run a personal best in in track, especially in sprinting, your nervous system is cooked because he's done something that the body's never done before. So it's very hard for it to come and replicate that the next day, let alone go faster. So yeah. when you go to a championship, you've got to pick what bullet you fire at what times. It doesn't change in rugby league. It doesn't change in AFL. The taper is the taper. You know what I mean? How you taper into finals, how you taper to a grand final, that doesn't tra- Everybody has their formula. And he just shot his bullet in the heat. And he had to. He had no choice. But he's now got to learn to have three bullets when you go to a championship. What I learned in Helsinki in 2005, I made my first final in the 400 metres. Um, and I got my doors blown in the final. And I remember standing at the line for the final completely zapped. Like, physically great. I was young. I was 21 years of age. But emotionally, I was cactus. And I learned that day. Six months later, I won Commonwealth and beat the same guys that beat me. Because I learned from that day what I needed to do, not physically, emotionally. So yeah. it's something It's something with Rowan where... What's difficult now is he's been running fast for a long time. And I look at a career as being 10 years in sprinting, right? And even in pro sport. So he's in year really five or six. His chronological age is 23. But when you're tapping the body out at that high level all the time, when injury starts to creep in, you can't get consistency. Then you can't get your taper right. It becomes extremely hard if that is your best to be able to replicate that at a championship's come three years' time. That's three years away now. Will he run fast in three weeks? I think he can run nine. I think if he goes to Europe now, gets his mind right, gets a good tailwind, he can run nine. Can he run nine again next year? Probably. But then now we ain't in the territory now. You've been at the top for your ability for now three, four years. So it becomes hard. Now, I'm not spitting on the guy, hating on the guy. It's my job to educate people about the game so we don't mark this kid inappropriately because we've got to mark him to what he's achieving. And what he achieved was brilliant. He did what he had to do, but he just didn't have the bullets. He didn't have the bullets yeah. for the semi. You see? Yeah. The 10-09 wasn't that bullet. And then even if he made it through to the final, the 10-09, he needed a 9-8 bullet. We saw that, right? He needed a 9-9 bullet to medal. Not even a medal, to even get in the top five. Yeah. So it's like you've got to learn these things. And now your question is, Joe, Jay, time, can he get it with time? My answer to that is he's already had a long time running relatively fast. So he's going to have to really, he's going to have to really pick his races wide, take enough rest throughout every season to give his body longevity, and then he'll be able to maybe I think match it with these big guys. It's going to look similar to Patrick Johnson and Matt Sherbington in their career. That's what that's my prediction. I was looking at I was looking at the you, you mentioned the four hundred being the blue ribbon one of the blue ribbon events and. I saw Steve Solomon. Who would run who I that? Think was, what an idiot! Oh, it's the pits. I, I saw Steve Solomon. He was in your. He was in your team in when you won the medal. Was he Steve Solomon? No, he was too young then. But uh, yeah. he finished the race and had a big spew. And I thought, who does this? Who does this for fun? It looks. It's the awful. worst event. It's the worst. I chose poorly. I just wasn't. I realized. <laughs> like I swear, I chose poorly. And then, I, like I realized, like like I knew I could probably become. And this is not being conceded. I could have probably become Australian champ in the 100, but I would never be world class in the 100. So I had I chose an event because I always want to be world, I want to be world ranked and win world medals. So I chose an event where I knew I could and the 400 was that event, but I was never going to be world class in the one and the two ever. So I know that because I just don't have the, the physical attributes, I believe, 
to to be that. And and then I've done DNA tests and all that sort of stuff in my career to realize that I made the right choice. But yeah, the four hundred sucks balls, man. Like it's it's it's, <laughs> it's just it's just the worst of it. You've got to have balls to run that, man. Well, it's a long sprint, right? I mean, when I won Commonwealth, I ran 10-9 for the first 100, 10-5 for the back stretch, 10-7 for the top curve, and 11-9 coming home. So, you know, yeah. if you look at that, 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 I mean, some people try and run 10-5 for one 100. You know, we had to try and learn to run 10 seconds for four of them. You know what I mean? So I, can't, um, I can't run 11-9. <laughs> let's, let's look at that. that. Let's look about that. So you just broke down that, that 400 metres into increments. Like... Let's sit, let's talk about crowds in Tokyo and what sort of what it what part did it take? You know what I mean? Like, you know, coming around that last bend on a four hundred in an Olympic, does that crowd get you home, or do you was that already completely blocked out from that from the hundred to the three hundred? You know what I mean? Like you're just in the zone, and when you come, you t- don't you can't tell me when you hit that straight and you see everyone a hundred thousand people going yes, you don't care what you're doing if you're in front. That's got to give you some extra juice, right? Like that, that, we took that factor out. How how much did you feel sorry for the athletes? And two, would it have played a part in some people in their well, performance I, overall? Especially just say question. little things like long jump, long jump, triple jump. Yeah. They're all going clap, clap. No one's clapping. There's ten people in the crowd. I don't know. I just think on your on your event. I know when you hit those bends and stuff like that, and even Kathy Kathy Freeman, when they come around, man. You got that whole crowd. You're talking a hundred thousand people just looking at you. Come on, man. You can't tell me it's not. Um, you can't tell me the it's wi- not. The women's fifteens on. We got a strain in this event, boys. Look at her right now. Sorry, is that McSween? Is that McSween? This is the women's fifteen. Oh, it's a women's fifteen. Yeah, just just Scarlett. She's ex Oregon uh, Oregon Duck. She 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 ran out there in Oregon, uh, Eugene, Oregon. Um, now she runs for she she obviously competes for Australia, but she she's another one of the, one of the athletes from the collegiate system. But to answer your question, will um, uh, until I watched the men's four hurdles final, now that <laughs> it did not matter that there was no crowd there. Man. That was absolutely yeah. bonkers. And I'm and I'm referring to the to Carson Warren's world record where he ran 50, 50, um, 50, 45, 94 to win the gold medal. It was that was that was just blew my mind. But I did think that before the games. For me personally, when I won Commonwealth Games at the G, there was 90,000 people. When I hit yeah. the curve and made my move, I heard the crowd roar and I felt... That's what I'm the saying. Back of, the, the back of my hair stood up in the race. It was the most yes. peculiar peculiar feeling I've ever had in my whole career. Um, and But, you know, when you, when you step to a championship, it, you know, a lot creeps in. You know, the, the devil becomes active in the brain. It's trying to tell you that you're not good enough, um, you know, and... And the, the biggest thing you learn through your pro career is is executing and sticking to the plan and 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 working how to give yourself positive affirmations leading out throughout the day, um, because that's what you do the whole day. You're sitting around waiting for this race, and it's so much time for you to cook yourself. It's just really really easy. So you you work through your coach. I used to keep good people around me that I could laugh with. I had a good team of people around that um, I could joke around and take my mind off things. I used to watch other events and get the juice off of them when I'm waiting at the games. Um, and then by the time I I, uh, I I used to have all my stuff laid out on, on a couch or on my bed, um, or, so I knew that 
there was one less thing I had to think about. So I had everything packed neatly. So I didn't have to worry, where's my bodysuit? Where's my spikes? I knew where they all were. I could then jump on the bus. I could then put my headphones on, listen to music. And then I'd just stick to one thing and that's executing. I'd have my race plan written down in my pocket, which would be everything I wanted to do within the race. So I have six key points on what I wanted to achieve in the race. So that way I always stayed focused to my goal. I knew this was my office. And that's what I used to tell myself, you've done this a million times before it's your office. This is when you have to deliver. And we practiced this day in, day out in training, all these procedures, how I walked to the start line, how I jumped before I got into the blocks, what I said when I was in the blocks, where I put my hands down and which hand went down first. So when I got into that position, it became a, a, a position of comfortability, but a position of normality, right? I didn't feel like a fish out of water. I could actually focus on my lane and do exactly what I did every day at training, which then gave me the confidence. As soon as that gun went off, all I focused on was my first step. I nailed the first step. I focused on my second step. The second, I nailed the second, and you understand then, because I, I had all yeah. my goals that I had to focus on. And that's something we teach now. Um, even when you're working with ball sports, it's no different. Every phase is different. Every time yeah. you take pick up and, and you work on all those little things, which add up to give you could be more consistent as a player or as a runner. And the more consistency you have, the bigger bandwidth the results you get. It's very simple. It's not that hard. Mate, one yeah. thing, you mentioned the 400 hurdles and it was a phenomenal race. I noticed um, in the press afterwards, Ray Benjamin obviously ran second. The winner has come out and said that he's got an issue with the spikes that he's wearing, with these new Nike spikes. If you remember sort of 15 years ago, all the swimmers and, and can all the world wear super suits because they were considered to be, you know, they, they were unfair. Is there a danger for the athletics associations that these spikes are going to start to create the same sort of issues? Or do you not see it as a big problem? So it was a huge problem, and I, I and I'm, I'm pretty close to the boss at Puma in Germany, and and he was explaining to me about um, the fight they had with the World Athletics, who used to be known as the IWF, which is the governing body of track and field around these spikes. So you know a lot of those shoe companies are, are, are dirty because they're going, mate, we they, Nike have got the jump on us with the technology. So uh, what I think will happen is either the other shoe brands will match the technology and use the blueprint of Nike, or World Athletics will step in and say. We're not going to use those spikes anymore. This happened back in 2004. Nike brought out, um, if you're familiar with Nike shoes, Nike, there's a Nike pair of shoes. They're called the Boings. And they got like little springs at the back of them. Yeah. Um, they look like the Nike TNs, but they've yeah, got, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. they got four little shocks in the back. They actually made they have the Boings with the spikes. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and <laughs> that's they, an advantage. They, yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> they end up. Yeah, they end up throwing those spikes um, and not allowing athletes to to compete in them. So um, I know there was a lot of conjecture around these spikes, uh, but I, I I don't think they're going to not ratify world records. It was interesting hearing um, Carsten Warren talk about those spikes because he's obviously a Puma athlete and um, and he he really smashed the world record by point eight of a second. Ray Benjamin smashed the world record by 0.5 of a second. A Brazilian young 21-year-old kid broke the world record by 0.4 of a second. Now, if I put that in perspective, the greatest of all times before Kevin Young was Edwin Moses, the great Ed, Edwin Moses. Yeah. Before. The yeah. baby boomers on, on that listening to this show will know who damn well Edwin Moses was. He was undefeated for 10 years. Kevin Young was a phenom who broke the world record in Barcelona and ran a time which looked like video game times, which we thought never would be broken. <laughs> Three athletes in the final ran under Kevin Young's world record. So three wow. athletes automatically are better than two of the greatest of all times. We're talking Larry Bird and Magic Johnson when you talk Edwin Moses and Kevin Young in the four hurdles. So it was absolutely bonkers. And if I put that time in perspective for you, what Carsten Warholm ran 
is the equivalent of Usain Bolt running 8.9 seconds for 100, for 100 meters. That's how quick Ooh. that four hurdles was. So it's, yeah. it's video game times. It was bonkers. It is probably the performance. We thought Usain running the world record was something that we would not see in our lifetime. This is something we will not see in our lifetime. It's funny, though, because I've never seen a bloke who won complain about the equipment of a bloke who came second. So maybe it's a puberty. Maybe he's... <laughs> He's on the payroll. Well, He's just towing cars. Puma's on a warpath, man. Puma's well, on a warpath. Well, well, no, Puma. Shout out to Puma, by the way. They're um, they're they're coming with it both on and off the track. But no, yeah. I think I think I think more um, Carsten was more talking about. Imagine if I had those Nike spikes. They do. They are great technology. We saw um, Iliad Kipchoge. Uh, 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 I could be wrong here. Iliad, yeah, or Iliud. Well, I always know him as Iliud. Break the the two hour marathon mark in Berlin when they set up that time for him to break the two-hour marathon. So, And he was wearing the similar shoes, but the flats, the running flats, which had this, which had like a cushion spring in the forefoot. So where the advantage is, for those that don't know what we're talking about, the running spike uh, that they designed for Nike has like a cushion slash spring that's in the forefoot. The forefoot of your foot, if those that don't know their, 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 their anatomy, is from the tip of your big toe to the middle of your foot. That's your forefoot. And that's the ideal place to strike when you're sprinting or running, especially even when you're doing middle distance and even when you're doing distance running, you sort of strike from the midfoot all the way to the forefoot to the front of your foot, pushing off the big toe. And what Nike have done, they put this nice spring right by where your foot hits in the forefoot and they're saying that this is causing a, a bounce spring effect allowing the athletes to be able to, to turn over a lot quicker and better because the contact time on the ground is a lot quicker because of the spring so this is where all the conjectures come from with these nike spikes there's no other spike um has that it's just normally a very stiff flat plate um very stiff flat spike plate which sits underneath <laughs> the spike do you reckon i think this is in terms of track and field events, I think this has definitely been one of our most successful Olympics because you look at Matt Denny coming fourth in the discus. We've done well. Brandon Stark came fifth, I think, in the high jump. So there's probably been a better sort of, um, you know, we've got athletes making the finals. Peter Boll obviously runs um, later tonight in the 800. We really have done extremely well across track and field, which traditionally has been the swimmers usually come out and win a lot of medals and then the track and field athletes probably don't perform the same way. I reckon this has been one of our best ones, Johnny. Yeah, I, I called it before the games. Anytime I get interviewed, they always ask me, how do you think the track and field team's going to go? And I made it very clear, it was a very young team. And we have to mark our athletes accordingly in track and field, not mark it against swimming. So I, I, I took the piss on, uh, on Sunrise. I'm doing Sunrise every morning, um, doing the preview and review of the track and field. And I said the other day, because they had swimmers on there, and I said, for every track and field medal, it, it, that's 4.25 gold medals when it comes to swimming. And I got this shit too. <laughs> so, 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 but, but, it, but it is true. The whole world runs, you know, there was a statistic that in the first four days, 24 countries won a medal in track and field. In the whole swimming carnival, only 20 countries won a medal in the whole carnival of swimming. So that's, that shows you that it is the world, if you want to talk about it, the world sport is track and field. Everybody can run. You don't need much. You don't need many resources. So that's what makes it extremely difficult to compete at a world level like this. The Australian team, you know, you're, you're, you're quite right here. I mean, the amount of finals we made, the amount of semifinals we made um, as a team collectively, it's, it shows that leading, moving forward, we increase our ability to win medals, right? We're increasing. Our, look, of course, you've got, yeah. to, you've got to make the final. You give yourself three and eight chance to win a medal. That's your first goal. Make the final. You know, mm. so if you're making a semi-final, you can obviously the projection where you should be going looks very good for you. 
Yeah. Hey, John, well, mate, on just say uh, let's rewind. Just say two thousand four. Just say COVID is in in um in Athens in two thousand four. You've just won silver, everything like that, and they go, all right, come home to Australia, fourteen days quarantine. What are you thinking? Can't party, can't do anything, can't see your family, can't do anything. Would has Australia got some sort of like players equal to a players association in the NRL or anything like where they can just go? Why why couldn't they have a word with the Australian government and go, look, we're not Novak Djokovic, we're not asking for this and that. Why can't you just put us in some sort of like a, a resort and go here, have a good time, you deserve this. We're going to chill you, chill for your fourteen days, do whatever. These guys are getting treated like prisoners. It's unbelievable. Right. Can you imagine John Stevenson coming home two thousand four, going, hey, hey, enjoy quarantine. What are you going to do? Yeah, uh, it, it it's this this is a whole other podcast talking about you know the effects yeah. that COVID's having on sport. Um, you know, you, you look the Australian team had a scare with Sam Kendricks testing positive from America in the pole vault, um, and 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 Sam was was in in, in uh, was training with an Australian pole vaulter. Um, that Australian pole vaulter went into the village, hung around other Australians, had to shut down the whole team for twenty four hours. Everybody got tested, and then it was play on. So mm. that was very strange for me that um, that there was no quarantining for 14 days once you were in yeah. close contact with somebody that had the test in the game. So there's certain rules in the, the games, and now they got back into the Australian rules of two weeks quarantine. Um, don't get it. Don't don't understand it. Don't get it. Um, I don't understand why the AOC hasn't stepped in. I thought they were putting them up in cans in a special holding bubble yeah. where they'll be able to get around. And um, because essentially everybody that's on that plane. Um, well, they I, can I sit next to state, each other. They can sit next well, to each other on the plane, but they can't hang out. Well, well, well. Essentially, the Australian team had a holding camp in Cairns, and they were all together there, you know, in a bubble camp. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I don't. I just think maybe it's it's poor admin. Um, yes, why they haven't yes, done that coming is. home? It is. I, I think maybe people didn't think that far ahead because they didn't know if the games was going to go on. Um, but yeah, I'd be filthy, mate. To be honest, yeah, I, I, I want to. This is the prime time that you make money in your sport. I feel so sorry for these athletes, you know, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's going to be really, really hard for them to normally you come home, you do the media circuit. If you want a medal after that, you do the socialite circuit. After yeah, you do that. And you've got two weeks. It's pretty yeah. much two weeks. Yeah. To you nail it. All, I just feel you've sorry got to do all them. these things to build your brand and um, they're going to miss out on that. It, it's, it's an absolute shit show, you know? So um, lucky they got look they have got social media where they can promote their brands you've seen athletes go from five thousand followers to 30 40 000 followers overnight um because yeah. they have that medium now so um but yeah it's very different landscape willie and uh, i i don't have the answer to your question but it's yeah it is i didn't want i just wanted me. to see like how disappointed would you be that's all oh, i want be, to know mate, COVID is a healthy, whole other con that's a whole other conversation but i just don't think they deserve this australia should have done australia government should have done better by these guys they've waited they had to sacrifice five years and now they get treated like this it's unbelievable speaking of building your brand i know you are a man in great demand and the athletics has started so for everyone who's listening we're actually going live and the uh the 1500s are on there it's all happening <laughs> I'm, trying to, so, mate, I'm trying to watch it in the reflection yeah the i know, I know. <laughs> let you go johnny i can see you looking you mate. i really appreciate you being on the show it's been uh, it's wonderful as always to talk to you and hearing your insights on the olympics has been fantastic mate so thanks again and uh mate anyone who's out there who uh who thinks that they know how to run, I'll tell you what, talk to John Stephenson and you'll work yeah, out pretty quickly you don't. All right, yeah, easy, guys. guys. Yeah, you can find me Thanks, on Instagram Johnny. and uh, you can find all my stuff on there. So, yeah, look forward to speaking to you guys again and uh, look after yourselves.
Oh, man. Go, Peter Bowles. Hey, hey, hey. Before, hey, hey, hey. before we go for betting if you want a special, Uncle Steph's got a special for you in the men's 5K tomorrow. That's <laughs> that's Mohamed Kater. He should win the, the 5K tomorrow. He looked outstanding. Um, I also got a special tonight in the women's uh, uh, 3,000. Uh, is the favourite. She will be the favourite. Uh, the name is 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 oh, on the top of my head because I just wrote it. Yes, yes. Give me a second. Anyway, I'll, I'll text the three D Willie. You can tell She's the gonna be the favorite. She's She'll gonna be the favourite. She will be the favourite. And right. if you want, if you want to hang on, if you want to throw a little multi in there, you're going to go Noah Lyles uh, to to medal, not to win. Noah Lyles to medal or DeGrasse to medal into the Dominican Republic girl in semi final number one in the women's four hundred. That'll give you odds of maybe two dollars. Uh, I think two dollars twenty. I think it'll give you odds, nice. and um, and yeah, put some cash on that for your betting size. dot com. Yeah, all right, man. thanks, mate. And uh, <laughs> we're 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 the only ones without Yamaha headphones, but I tell you what, yeah. they're going to send you a special pair of Yamaha headphones as well, just for being on the show. So thanks again, right. Johnny. Take care, right, mate. See you soon. <laughs> see you, Johnny. All right, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, brother. Hi, Tiana from the Green Room Podcast here. Join me with an exclusive backstage pass featuring in-depth conversations and a bunch of personal and crazy stories from around the world with some of the biggest names in music, film, comedy and everything in between. These definitely aren't your average interviews. Come join me in the Green Room. Presented by the Handshake Agency. Check it out at thepodcast.com.au. There we go, Will. I'll tell you why. Yeah, it's always there a pleasure nothing... to John, mate. He's a legend. And listening to someone who has actually been there and done it, it's fascinating to hear about because there is a lot of hype about Rowan Browning and, and it makes sense. You know, he's, he's there's a lot to go when it comes to actually making a long career out of, out of athletics. So, William, let's move to rugby league. Um, oh, yuck. For anyone listening to Johnny <laughs> Stephenson's tests as well, make sure that you gamble responsibly, thanks to bettingsite.com.au. That's responsible because you've just been told by an Olympian who's going to win. So that is the most responsible gambling yeah, hey. of all time. Uh, mate, let's start quickly with one of the things that probably got you worked up over the weekend. Um, two of the serial sort of chirpers in the rugby league world are... Um, Dylan Walker and Will Chambers, those two came together in a game, Manly versus Cronulla on the weekend, and it was actually pretty funny to watch, just seeing mm. two blacks just ripping into each other. Uh, I think it was just a one-way street, really. Yeah, well, Walker didn't have much to say back. What What do you think, uh, in terms of sledging, William, do you think that anything is off limits when you're on the field? No. Nah. Not when you've allegedly done some low shit like Dylan Walker. Uh, Will Chambers is a stand-up man. He's a man. And I'm, I'm surprised a lot of players haven't put his head on a platter, so they used to say, like, uh, every single week for what he's allegedly done. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, Will Chambers has probably been sitting over in Japan the last couple of years and just wanting to kill this dude for what he's allegedly done. You know what I mean? So what I saw on the weekend, I had to tweet it because I knew I knew what was going on because you could just he could lip read. You don't you have, didn't to, have to be a genius. You didn't have to be a genius. He's saying 
uh, I'm not going to quote. He goes, you know, you bashed your missus. He goes, what's it like? Like trying to get, you know, trying to, you know, it's not playing PlayStation now. You bash your missus, your dog, C-U-C-C-word, everything like under the sun. And the and the commentators probably didn't pick up on it because they were like, they were thinking, oh, wow, Will Chambers is, is just out of, you know, it's, you know, you're getting beat by 30. It wasn't good timing. But when do you time it? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm surprised a lot of players haven't gone for his head and just tried to tear it off every single game because I know if I was playing, it'd be straight on the ground. And I know everybody in our team would be doing the exact same thing. So I'm so proud of Will Chambers for what he did. And I think everyone else should do it every single week. Yeah, look, it is funny because Chambers ended up getting hooked. I mean, I don't know whether it was because he was getting yes. so fired up and they were worried. No, he was. He just had to like, take him out of that. He just take him out of that stuff. But that's it. He's a man. He's a man's man. He would never do anything like that to a woman. And uh, he, he stood up. He stood up for what is right, regardless of how you look at it. He stood up for what is right. I don't give a yeah. shit what they say in the papers and stuff. Like he's a low prick. Yeah. Well, I mean, Will Chambers obviously took it pretty personally, so he probably feels the same way you do. And you've obviously been extremely strong. Not just on the show, but on you know on the SBS program, you can't say that. And you know, it's it's something that you strongly believe in. And this isn't a new stance for you, William. And I'm proud of you for having it. No, do not care. It shouldn't uh, be in our speak, game. Speaking of things that probably shouldn't have happened, it looks as if the men's rugby sevens team. I know this is off rugby league for a moment, but it's sort of an Olympics theme. They've got on the drink. After they lost basically every game, let's be honest, they haven't exactly like. If you're going to carry on like an imbecile, at least win the win a goal back, win something, do something. Don't just lose two games and then get pumped in the quarters. But they've come home, they've destroyed the athletes' village, and then they've been on the plane and they've carried on like a pack of imbeciles on the plane too. And all of a sudden now, rugby union's in the spotlight for a rugby league style incident. What is wrong with these people? They'll be preying on someone breaking the bubble in league. <laughs> it's only a matter oh, of time. Going, where's Shy Arrow? Where's Where's Paul Vaughan? You know, bring Happy. someone out. Where's your Where's your Instagram, yeah. Happy? Come on, man. Um, yeah, man, that's pretty poor form, especially from um, you know, just I mean, um, when you hear reports and that when they say trash the village, I mean, I want to see photos. I want to see some proof. Trash has been probably leaving one beer can. You know what I mean? That's how they can say that. I'm not sure. Did you, what do, when you say trash, are they trash, trash? I think, thing- I think, I think one bloke's crash tackled another bloke straight through a wall, yeah, which is yeah. that's that comes under the banner of trashed. No, yeah, one's I'd say in the so. hall, you know, you know, yeah, this- no one's got an Albert sitting in the de- on the yeah, bed, but just, there's, yeah, I mean, just uh, probably the, the most you know, um, disappointing thing is the stuffing up on the plane. Yeah, that's that's pretty poor from union standards. You represent Australia. It's an Olympic team. You didn't win, first of all. They can always they excuse you when you do win. Somehow you always get you know let through. But when you're on the plane, when you got other people around, it's totally different. They're on a commercial flight. Yeah, I know. Totally, totally, totally different when you're in your own room and you're mucking around and shit just gets like that. You know, there's no other people there. You know, if they say trashed, I get it. You know what I mean? Like you're tackling people through walls. And it's not like they got, you know, beer bottles and just threw them everywhere. It was nothing like that. So I don't, I don't, I don't believe the reports like that. But I believe, you know, someone got tackled through a wall. I've seen it happen before, and you know, I've seen people do things in hallways. I've seen, I've seen a lot of shit. <laughs> Pardon the pun. I've seen a lot of that stuff. But um, yeah, just the pro- probably the carrying on on the plane. You just you, that's just enough. You just don't do that. And that's up to leadership leadership groups. 
they got to come in. The people, the coach, everyone like that, they're, they're very accountable there. Of course, the players are the number one. They need to be accountable for everything. So, hey, the cop the repercussions. Don't, Imagine don't fuck spent, up. It's just you can't, you can't do that. You've spent three months trying to get home. They've only got a certain amount of flights. You walk on the plane. There's 49 Olympians full of drink. You'd be going, how good is this? I'm They've stolen sure the drinks tray. Yeah, <laughs> oh. I'm not sure. I mean, oh. these guys have been under so much pressure trying to get to the Olympics, the amount of pressure. And then once they decompress, that's when shit gets wild. You know, I'm not sure yeah. how, do you, how there's no blueprint to go, oi, all right, guys, this is how you act. Because there's young kids, there's older kids, there's people in the middle. And as I said, like, they had good leadership in that in the, in the team. That wouldn't have happened. But yeah. it is what it is. I mean, they didn't, like, they were Well, they do that. They're just really disrespectful doing, to the look, people. I've, I've heard some whispers that the, the – um, I don't know about the plane. I've heard some whispers that the village stuff was pretty average. But, um, but you know, look, you don't know. It, until it all comes out, they're all doing investigations. Yeah, Someone will do saying, something stupid, it? Will, by the end, and then everyone mm. will forget about it. It's just yeah. nice for rugby league not to be the worst rugby code for once. Ever. <laughs> they're up. <laughs> uh, all right, oh, quickly, God. Will – uh, Rugby League World Cup's been postponed because obviously Australians yeah, really? have pulled out, so they've pushed it back. They kind of had to, but I still like the idea of having, you know, Tonga Samoa, an Indigenous side. Um, you know that that sounded to me like yeah. a pretty good. If the players wanted to play, they were then, they were behind it. Yeah, Cody Walker and and, and a lot of the the leaders of the Indigenous um, boys they come out and said they'd love to play. So. They would have got knocked on the head by the the ARL. They wouldn't allow. They would not allow it. So it would have went. It would have went above their head, and the Maori team as well. So um, you know, I think it, that that's what they were looking for. You know, and they got their way because it's Australia and New Zealand. It's, it's the fat thing, cats. Man. It's a fat cats. Will do you know another yeah. word for fat? Do you know another word for fat cats? No. Big boys. Big boys. <laughs> Willie's big boy. The big boys were on fire on the weekend, especially two of them. Um, my number one, one point's going to Jacob Saifidi. He somehow pushed David Clemmer out of the Newcastle Knights team as a starting prop. I know Clem got injured and then, but Jacob's been there and he's been starting there for about, I think about three or four weeks. While Clem was out, Clem's come back off the bench, and but he's been doing a magnificent job, I think, on the weekend, you played against Canberra. Canberra has, it was a must-win. So this is obviously, if you follow Willie's big boys, I go on what sort of pack you're playing, what's you know what sort of position you are on the, on the table, what sort of team shows up. Canberra had to win to stay in the eight, so they had everything to play for, and so did Newcastle. So it was a semi-final sort of play, and I watched that game very closely. And like Kalen Ponga was outstanding, outstanding. What he did in um, Chuala, the winger was outstanding. But it was set in the middle. It was like the two, um, Jacob Saifidi was just on fire. He was just running great lines, and his brother's got two points. Daniel Saifidi, like the work that they did was outstanding. I think um, I think Jacob played a few more minutes, maybe close to sixty minutes in the middle, and I think Daniel played 
you know, probably about 45 to 50 minutes in the middle. And it was hard yakker in there, mate. But And it was a really expensive game. So the middles were very fatigued. So they had to come up. They had to move back because Canberra were playing very – they were direct sometimes, but they were moving the ball. I think I tweeted about it. It was like very expensive game. So the, I know the middles, they try and blow the middles out by moving shift for shift for shift. So the middles are coming up. They're not even tackling, but they're coming up and they're moving so many. So you're probably doing about a 400-meter sprint in a set of six. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Up, back, sidewards. And, and, you know, they try and fatigue your legs like that. But these two boys are st- stuck in the middle there. Got some good minutes out and some really good meters. Both, I think, above, you know, over 130 meters, about 14, 15 touches each, 30 tackles. Effectiveness was great. Post-contact meters was great. But my three points has gone to Payne Haas. Simply because I know how hard that game is, uh, even though they're both sitting at the wrong end of the table. Cowboys and Broncos is like a semi-final game up there. It is. I played in one of them when I was at the Cowboys. And regardless of where they're sitting at the table, that clash, that local derby is is pretty heavy. And that's why it was a close game. You know, the Cowboys showed up, but Payne Haas, he's just, he's so hard to, he's so hard to tackle. Like he's just, what is he? Six foot four, about 110 kilos. Like he can run a sub like sub five for 40 meters. Like he just he's meter his meters and his motor are unbelievable. He just doesn't stop. Like he's easily like that's probably him, James Fisher Harris is the two two best at the moment in the in the world, I reckon. In the so universe. No wonder, no wonder no wonder the Broncos want to sign him on a 10 year deal. Well, Tao Malolo, they signed him. Payne Haas is younger than Tao Malolo. They'd signed him on a young... But yeah. they, they'd be coming out front, I reckon. So the leaderboard now has got Payne Haas on 19 votes. We've got James Fisher-Harris, who's given a couple of games up for the birth of his child. He's on 17, and Junior Paulo is on 13. I'll tell you what mm. I hadn't thought about this. As we have said many times, and thank you very much to young Henry's anti-Bondi uh, Tonys. We've got the yeah. beers We've got the beers here going. The young Henry's, it is a very, very good drop. The Saifidi brothers should have got together and said, we're a half a chance combining our points in the big boys, and then we'll get a slab a week of young Henry's. And a burger, and they could have shared the burger and the chips. You know, yeah, that's no, silly. But but, but, but with, if it's still locked down, they're not getting anything. We're going to probably eat it. They're in Newcastle. We're eating the whole thing. Uh, yeah. One thing as well, Bondi Tonys is you know all the people down in Bondi are doing a bit tough, and um, there's a lot of people going around and, and trying to drink margaritas, and it's affecting people's licenses down there. What are they I've doing? Heard. What are they doing? There's this gang on a what is it? Uh, a Wednesday or a Friday? This yeah, margarita, is it a martini gang? Like going margaritas, down? yeah. And it's literally, stop? how about and you it's just affecting stop? people's licenses? So if yeah, Wank, just what stick a bunch it, of yeah. wankers, wankers. It's ridiculous. Like if you're in that and I've group, seen get out of it. Yeah, like come just on, drink man. it home. Like, what are you doing? Drink it home. Drink Be it responsible home. and drink it home. Unless you're drinking young Henry's, you gamble yeah. responsibly, drink like a pretty, lunatic, young Henry. Pretty pathetic, but that's pretty pathetic from those blokes. Who don't think they are? They think they're us. So, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, Harry's not with us tonight because Harry, uh, uh, Harry's wife was expecting a baby, um, and expectation has come through with the goods. And he has his lovely wife um, has had a little girl, Elise May. Uh, so, congratulations to Harry and his beautiful wife. Um, we're ecstatic for you, mate. 
Uh, yeah, we well done. Yeah. We can't win a bet. So, uh, but unfortunately, yeah, we, we so everything was awful last week again. Oh, you know who killed me? Canberra. Oh, Canberra killed all of us. If Canberra won, I think my multi gets up. We win yeah. eight hundred dollars. And mine. And I tell you what, if I could have been in the room with Ricky Stewart in the dressing room after the game, I don't think I probably would have been quite as hurtful as what Ricky Stewart was, but I would have gone close. Yeah, I think Ricky would have been absolutely filthy. As I said, like that's why the two brothers got the points in the big boys, because look how much they had to play for. Like they yeah. had a heap to play for. And Ricky's probably just thinking, what am I doing wrong? So are you doing? my... My bet this week, I've gone the Knights, the Storm, and the Titans straight out. And then I've gone the Wallabies with a 20-and-a-half start because I cannot right, see them the, getting beaten by two Sorry, the points. producers, the produ- he just messaged me. The producers' bet's still alive anyway. So we'll see if someone wins badminton or uh, fencing or something. <laughs> yeah, no, because he, he, do you know why he's excited? Because he backed someone at $6.50, and then the bloke that was the favourite or the girl that was a favourite got knocked out. And they've come in from six dollars fifty to a dollar something. So now he thinks he's a genius. Uh, Let me tell you, uh, the way uh, he's bet all year, that they'll break an ankle. Our luck they'll is break an ankle. Yeah. What are so you what was your one? What was your what was your one again? Sorry. I've gone Knights, Storm, Titans all head to head, and Wallabies with twenty and a half start against the All Blacks. Wow, that's nice. Anyway, I've got um Josh Mansell, anytime try scorer, Manly twelve and a half with the line uh, some yeah, the line, Manly 12 and a half. Uh, yep, St. George Lawara, the line, 10 and a half. And Knights and Broncos, uh, 50 and a half over. That's what I'm going. So, There'll be plenty of points in that game. That's good. There'll be plenty of points. Yeah. Uh, the producer, oh, I don't even know what this means. Essendon something, Archie Perkins. I don't know. That is Peter Wright. These are. <laughs> what are you I doing? I don't even know what this means. If you want to know what the producers bet, then have a look on all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It'll be on there. I don't know what it means. Harry has gone Rabbitohs 13 plus, Storm 13 plus, Titans 13 plus, and his daughter to have his mum, her mum as the favourite parent, which is paying $1.01. <laughs> So no, oh, Harry, Harry. I'm sure you'll be you'll be second favourite. But he's gone. Mm. Uh, he's gone thirteen plus thirteen plus thirteen plus. So thanks once again to bettingsite.com.au. We are woeful this year. We still got thirty five hundred in the kitty, and we're going to get everybody to send in their things very soon. But for now, we need to start winning. So yeah, I'm going to stop mucking around now. Just like get some real winners in there, you know. I'm yeah, mucking around. That's what you've been doing. Mm-hmm. Please, everyone, gamble responsibly. All right, William, in terms of right. tips, you, you read yeah. your tips out for me. Um, hang on. They're way back here. Um, sorry, guys. Knights, Raiders, South, Cronulla, Panthers, Storm, Bulldogs, and Titans. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, do you know what? I've just, in news just to hand, I've got four dollars eleven with Ladbrokes. You've got nine dollars sixty one. Uh, mm. The producers got eight dollars ninety nine with Ladbrokes, and Harold's bet is nine dollars and two cents with Bet three six five. So there's some cash there if any of those get up. They probably won't because we're awful, uh, <laughs> and it's been uh, we'll horrific. Uh, all right, William, that's. That concludes the show. I tell you what, it's been wonderful having Johnny Steph on there. And honestly, yeah. he's 
he is wonderful um, in terms of coaching. So if anyone who's a prof- wants to be a professional athlete or is currently a professional athlete yeah. needs to work on their skills, get involved. Yeah, he's brilliant, mate. He makes he makes he makes it look easy. He's a good dude. Yeah, one of the best. And the only other thing that I think we need to mention is rate, review, subscribe. Um, we need you to do that. The other thing is for Handshake Agency, which is the uh, agency that runs our show, they have also had a big result with uh, Rewind the Music Doc. Uh, mm-hmm. That's been number one on Apple and Spotify. So congratulations to the podcast.com.au and to Craig and the, all of that. Um, and also Zig, who is, we, we mention him a lot, but we don't mention him enough because he's a terrific human and he does a lot for this show. Um, Yamaha's come on board as a sponsor. So Zig's going to get a brand new studio out of this, which we will benefit from. Hopefully when we we'll make actually... a rap album. <laughs> I'd be new vanilla ice. I can yeah. come out, collaborate and listen with me. Um, so Steph's going to get a set of headphones thanks to Yamaha. Zig's getting a new studio. It's all happening here. Yeah. Thank you I'm getting very a, I'm getting much. A and I'm getting... What else do Yamaha make? I'm getting one of them. Yeah. Everything Yamaha makes, I'm getting because I'm more important than you. See you next week, William. See you later. Bye. I'll be following Willie Moore and Moore. Oh, Back in the NRL. There's Willie Mason. I've forgotten how big Willie actually is. Perhaps the presence of Willie and the Panthers looking at his imposing frame. I'm a 25-minute man. Wow. Oh, you got skills, son. Uppercut right hand by Big Willie. Too fancy for you. You've been listening to The Take with Willie Mason and co-host Ian Byrne. Produced by Craig Trewick, recorded and engineered by Zig Parker of Green Room Sydney, and presented by the Handshake Media Network.